You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I get to uh, have a, a chance this morning to, to talk to you about uh, God's will for our lives, especially during difficult times. So on, on the back of Derek's uh, sermon series on why the bad things happen, uh, I want to talk about God's will in the midst of that and how we live out God's will in our daily lives. Uh, this passage is a powerful one for me. In, uh, in Luke 22, uh, verse 42-44, uh, and I'm going to read out these verses again. We saw some of them on the screen just there, but it says, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Uh, there's a couple of, of parts of this prayer that um, just really inspire and encourage me, and they just make me love Jesus even more. When I, when I look at this part of the, of the prayer where he has to pray, not my will. Like before he, he prays, God, your will be done, he has to say, not mine. <laughs> you know, and I think for us sometimes, at least for me, uh, there are times where I have to make the primary or the first part of my prayer. First of all, I'm not all-knowing and all-powerful, and my, even if the things I think are good, if it's, not, if it's not what you want, let my will not be the most important thing. But there's this other part of this prayer and, and, and we see Jesus being strengthened. Uh, it says an angel from heaven strengthened him. And after that, he began, his sweat became like great drops of blood. Like this was after he was strengthened. Like what was Jesus' state like before he was strengthened? If after he was strengthened by an angel from heaven that he is sweating drops of blood. This is his darkest hour and he's praying not my will, but your will be done. And in the hard times in our life, this is a, a good reminder for us that we have to pray these things and try our best to, to live them out. And, and it's not the first time Jesus has, has prayed these words or spoken these words. In John chapter 4, verse 32 to 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He, he was always emphasizing his will, his father's will. And, and the difference between these two times, right at the beginning of the gospel and at the end of the gospels, is really Jesus' circumstances, right? When he is praying or speaking these words in John 4, 
uh, that I want to do the, the will of the Father. It's almost where things are just starting out for him and it's much easier for us to pray, I want to do God's will on the mountaintops, right? And when things are going well, or even if it's not going well, but there's just no chaos, it's easier to pray that I want to do God's will than it is in the kind of circumstance that we see Jesus in the hardest, most painful, most sacrificial times of our life. God, not let my will be the most important thing, but let your will be the most important thing. And, and the Bible talks about God's will in, in various different ways, it shows us different aspects of God's will. Just to, to kind of give you a, a little bit of insight, and we will not dig into into most of these today, but uh, it, it tells us about his perfect will. In Romans 12, his will is good and pleasing and perfect. It, it talks about the hidden will of God. Are there any crystal ball Christians in here? You know, people who, they just wanna know the future. I just want God to reveal his plans for me and what he wants me to do in the future in my life. And there's things that God has hidden from us. We're not going to get to talk too deeply about that today. The revealed will of God in, in John 7, it talks about this some, that there are things that God has revealed to us that every believer should know. And this is where we're going to focus our time is how do we live out his revealed will in our life? There are two other things, the permissive will of God, which if you think about Job, you know, we kind of, uh, Derek had talked a little bit about that. We understand some about the permissive will of God and, and then the sovereign will of God. A lot of times, uh, this is in reference to salvation and, and, and is, for some of us, the mystery of God's will, the sovereign will of God. But we're really gonna focus on primarily the revealed will of God in our life and how we can live that out. I want to tell you a little bit of, of my story. So in, in 2004, uh, I committed my life to Jesus, to serving him. I, I had grown up uh, believing that he was my savior, but I had definitely not made a decision to make him the Lord of my life. And in 2004, uh, I was broken I ended up in hospital uh, following my, my choices and in addiction and uh, went into hospital and came out of there, went to church on Father's Day because make my dad happy because he was an assistant pastor and it's Father's Day, so go to church. And uh, the sermon that day um, spoke right to me and was the day that I decided I'm no longer just going to believe that you're real and be grateful that you can forgive me. I, I want to follow you. And it was the day, Father's Day 2004, that I committed my life to, to really following his will. And, and what does that look like? And so six months later, I left my town. That was not something I wanted to do, but it's something I needed to do. I left my town and I moved from the south of England where I grew up, up to the very north of England and I made a sacrifice. I left things behind to join a ministry that was going to teach me uh, about, about Christ and how to live for him. It was a full-time position that had zero money, <laughs> but it was something I needed. It was something I was gonna get to do, uh, to learn, to grow and to mature in my faith and, and find out, this was my thought, what is God's plan for my life? And how can I serve him? What does he want for me? 
Uh, after a year uh, serving in that ministry, uh, they asked me to move to the US, to Arlington, Texas. And uh, again, that was not something that I uh, desired to do in my life, was to move abroad. Now you can't get rid of me. I love it here. Uh, but uh, at the time, at the time, yeah, moving towns was hard enough, moving countries to move to a place I'd never been, I'd never visited. I mean, at the time, it felt like it was a, it was a sacrifice and it was scary and it, and it was not something I wanted to do. But I saw that the opportunity that was uh, being presented was a way that I could make the biggest difference in other people's lives that were not yet saved and in helping to encourage believers, particularly uh, teenagers uh, that were believers, to live out their faith, to really pull it into action. And so I came and uh, made a two-year uh, commitment to do that. And during that two years, uh, Emma and I had started dating and she was in England, and she came over also. The director of the ministry at that time said, no, 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 you, we're not putting you guys in the same church if you're dating. She got sent out to East Texas, and I was here in Arlington, and uh, after a year of dating apart, uh, we got to go together to serve in ministry together at a place called Happy Hill. And uh, it was an uh, orphanage and juvenile um, facility, and uh, so the kids that were there uh, lived there, went to school there, uh, went to chapel there. All of their athletics, was they never left, okay? Everything was there. And it was the most intimate uh, relationships we've ever had with people because we never left. We did everything together. We ate all of our meals. All of our free time was there. It was very intense. And um, during that time, uh, you know, we... We got engaged at that Christmas and uh, made a plan to get married that following summer, six months later. And the leaders at Happy Hill had told us, um, okay, you are going to come back from your wedding. We have a, a place for you to stay. We have a vehicle for you. We have a salary for you. We're excited for you to come back as a married couple and gave us a new um, kind of job description on how, what we were going to do when we got there. And we were excited. We left. We went home. Uh, was making plans for the wedding, which were now about six weeks away. And we got a phone call that um, Happy Hill had had a change of leadership and was no longer going to require our service. Okay. So six weeks before I'm supposed to be the provider of my brand new family, uh, I have no income, no car, and nowhere to live. All of it was gone. And um, the last thing that we had really believed uh, was that the best way that we could serve was here in the US with the organization we were serving, it was the Pays Movement, I've, I've told you about them before. That was the, the best way that we could make an impact in, in God's kingdom. And, um, and it was kind of chaos because we, we couldn't just erase that conviction because it was convenient, right? That conviction to, to come back, even when there was no money, no house, no car, nothing. Um, and we got offered, I got offered a job in England that was uh, working in a church alongside youth, 
Um, it was a, it was a been the, the biggest salary I would have ever had at that time. Uh, it definitely would have been convenient. Our families would have been pretty happy that we was going to stay. I don't know why they like us, but they wanted us to stay. Um, and, uh, and we had this opportunity to, to just set up home and to switch our plans and say, okay, it's out of my control. It's not my fault that they had a change of leadership and a change of mind. We are going to just stay in England now. And, uh, and as we prayed about it and talked about it, we, uh, we felt that the right thing to do was to continue our commitment as volunteers to uh, pays in the USA and come back despite knowing that we had nothing. And so uh, we turned the job down, just trusting that this was, you know, the right choice and, um, and continued with the plans for our wedding, putting on a happy face, pretending that we weren't scared of what was about to unfold after the, the wedding. And, um, and so we, uh, we got married, we came, uh, went on our honeymoon, we came back to the US, went to the PACE training. We got to stay with a, a couple temporarily in, in their home here in Arlington at the church that we were serving with. And, um, and uh, during that time, they had made three calls to churches that were interested in, in maybe starting a partnership with PACE. And the first one to respond was a church in San Antonio. And um, so we went down, we interviewed with them, and this where we decided to, to spend our, our time serving in our, in our first years of marriage. And at the same time, we, f- we found this out, at the same time that we had gotten the call uh, that Happy Hill had changed its mind, uh, there was a couple in that church who had um, a 120-acre ranch and at the back of that ranch was the original farmhouse uh, for that ranch. And they had been talking back and forth about how to use this place um, in ministry. And had been discussing back and forth. One of the couple wanted to use it to benefit youth in the community. The other wanted to use it to benefit missionaries. And you know, after some time of kind of debating back and forth, they said, look, let's just get it ready first and then decide how we're going to use it. And when uh, they found out that we were coming and we were needing a place, um, they, they took us in. And our job was to, to make missionaries to reach the youth in San Antonio, and it fit what God had put on both of their hearts. And um, I just wanted to tell you that story because making that decision uh, to come back was with no benefit to ourselves. Like, and we, we came back and found that God had been orchestrating things where we, we lived for four years um, on a 120-acre ranch. Uh, we lived rent-free. Uh, there was a 1996 Ford Mustang that was donated and a Lexus SUV that was donated. We had two vehicles. That Mustang was my favorite car ever. I had, to, I had to give it up when Oliver was born, you know, kids. But, uh, but uh, you know, we, we were blessed with twice as many vehicles. We were blessed with a bigger salary. We were blessed with a place that was in a beautiful part of, of, of Texas uh, with people that we really grew to love that lived there. And, uh, you know, over those four years, we was able to, uh, to save up not only enough to put a deposit down on our, our own first house, um, but also to, to travel the world for six months. We traveled to 25 countries in six months 
uh, right before we, we came to Sydney on a Hill. And uh, I was able to uh, preach uh, on six continents. Uh, and whether that was uh, in churches, or whether that was in conferences, or whether that was in a, in a taxi talking to the, uh, to the taxi drivers. And uh, got to, you know, just share what God had been doing in my life. And uh, we got to have those experiences together. But kind of doing, doing God's will was not something that made sense in that, in that early years. And it would have been so easy to have just said, no, uh, we're, we're going to do what makes sense and where the money is being offered and we're going to stay home around family and, and start life here. And, um, and, and it just was a reminder to me, you know, that, that bad things can happen when you are pursuing God's will. Okay, bad things can happen when you are pursuing God's will. It says this in 1 Peter three seventeen. It says, it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. You know, it, it, there are times where like serving God and doing what he has asked us to do isn't going to produce good things. It's gonna produce hard things, hard times. It's gonna create an opportunity for us to grow in character, right? And in, in Romans 5, it teaches us that. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. You know, um, whenever we, we are trying to figure out how to, to live out God's will, uh, we have this, this mindset of like, if you will show me uh, what you want me to do, I will work out the way to get there. <laughs> Right, and and so we we've tried our best to live our lives on the, the principle found in, in Matthew six, uh, verse thirty three, where it says, "But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." We've experienced some of that, you know, but God's provision in our life, like I, in the story I just shared with you, and, and many more. Um, but seeking Him first is what comes first. Right? It's not seeking him so that you can be blessed, but we seek him first because his will is more important than, than our will. It, you know, it's the same chapter that Jesus talked about God's will and when he taught the disciples how to pray, uh, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the same chapter that we see to seek first the kingdom of God uh, verse. And... Um, you know, along this journey, you know, my wife and I have, uh, have done our very best to try and do that, to make our decisions. Is this what we think and, and believe is going to have the biggest impact on the kingdom of God and pursue it that way? Not what is best for us, but what is going to have the biggest impact in the kingdom and trying our best to, to trust that. I'll label the next part of this message, uh, things I've learned about following God's will also known as things I still get wrong and struggle with and screw up. That's the, that's the, the part of this message because when things are going the way we want them to, it's easy to try and take control and do things my way and, and try and you know, put my will above God's will and, and, just, and, and just, yeah, take control. And so the first thing that we have learned or I have learned is that we have to ask the right question. You know, I've heard the question asked a lot of times, what is God's will for my life? 
I had someone ask me that last week. You know, I'm trying to know what is God's will for my life. And so often, the problem with that question is that the emphasis is the my life part, right? We're asking God, what is your will that's, that's going to give me uh, something to do, something of value, some kind of provision? Like my life becomes the central part a lot of times in this question. And, and so we have to ask the right question and it's not what is your will for my life, but what are you doing and how can I get involved in it? You know, just re-emphasizing God's will, what he's up to, and, uh, and knowing that it, a lot of it is already revealed. It's in your Bible. It's right there of how we should live our life and how we should make our decisions. I can see what you're doing. I can see what you have told me and how I'm supposed to live. Now I'm going to get involved in doing that. Um, you know, another, another part of, uh, of the lessons that we've learned is that we can ask the right questions, but with the wrong motive, right? So we have to ask the right question, but we have to have the right motive. It's not, how can I do your work so that I can be blessed? It's, it's how can I do your will and know that you have promised to provide and take care of your people, and sometimes that provision is not what you want or what you think it's going to look like. And so we have to get our hearts in the right place and know that my, my decision isn't based on what the outcome is going to be for me. It's going to be based on doing the right thing because it's the right thing, even when it means sacrifice. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You know, uh, I mentioned this at the beginning that there are uh, crystal ball Christians, right? That if you would just reveal my future to me, I can make my plans on how to get there. And uh, it's, it, I, I'm a, I have some, a confession here. I am directionally challenged. I think it's hereditary. I think it's something that happens uh, in my family and I called it from them. Um, but I have a terrible time knowing, remembering directions and, uh, and just being able to map out where we go. So my favorite tool in the world is right here. <laughs> this gets me everywhere. And I love it because uh, I can put in exactly where I'm wanting to go. And not only will it tell me the way to get there, but it will tell me exactly what time I'm expected to get there. It will tell me, hey, there's, uh, there's some uh, traffic up ahead or there's an accident up ahead. You might want to reconsider going a different way that's more convenient to you. I like that. You know, the other thing I really like about uh, using my phone to get somewhere is it will tell me how to avoid having to pay tolls. I don't want to have to pay more than I absolutely have to when it comes to driving and getting to a place. Um, but there are some other times, and I don't know why, I don't just rely on my trusted method, but there are times when I go somewhere with Emma and I don't use my phone to get there, I just let her direct me. This is a great exercise in learning how to listen it's, it's not a great exercise in building your friendship with your spouse. 
Okay, so I'll get in the car. I won't even necessarily know where the destination is. We just get in. Where are we going? We're going to this birthday party. Okay, where is it? Don't worry, I'll tell you. Okay, so we'll get in. Okay, turn left here. Turn right here. No, I said turn right here. And, you know, we'll be on the way, and I don't know when the next direction is coming. Sometimes I will mishear my wife. I will hear something different than she said according to her. <laughs> there are other times I don't hear her at all. She said, I said turn left, did you hear me? No, I saw, I, t I tuned out, I didn't hear at all. And there's other times the direction comes like seconds before I'm supposed to make the turn, right? And it is, it is not my favorite way to get somewhere. It, we get there stressed out, get out of the car, the people we're going to visit are there, and hi, you know? And it's really, I don't know why I don't just use my phone every time or, you know, I let her drive. That might be good too. But I think there are times where we do this with God, right? If, you, if I can just know what the destination is, I can know what the best way is going to be to get there. I can decide the route myself, You know, I can know about what, what it's going to cost me. I can know about how long it's going to take me. And I, and I can mentally prepare myself. And, and it's like, I want to know and do God's will if you tell me what it is. But let me be in control of how that happens. You know, where God wants you to say, no, -uh, I'm going to tell you, turn here. And sometimes you're not going to hear me. Sometimes you're going to hear me, but do your own thing anyway. Which is not a good idea. <laughs> With your wife, or with God. Um, but, you know, we, we do it. We, we really, we want the, the hidden will of God is, is a lot of times what we're asking. When I want to know God's will for my life, it's what is that secret he hasn't told me yet about my future? And, and I'll figure out everything else. And that's just a lot of times not how God works. You know, if, if we would just live out the revealed will of God and be obedient to doing what he's already told us to do in, in scripture, the hidden will of God will be revealed. You'll get there, <laughs> you know? And, and, and it's so hard for us, uh, who, uh, especially those of us who like to be in control, which I don't think there's anyone in this room that really, that doesn't apply to, in some way or another, that we have to trust him and he, he will get us there. The last part of uh, the lessons that, that I've learned in, in trying to do God's will in my life is that I have to have the right perspective. So I have to ask the right questions. I have to have the right motive. But I have to have the right perspective as well. Derek talked about this. Having the right perspective of our life is that everything is hevel. Remember? It's a mist. It's nothing. Our life is gone here and then gone. It's having a perspective of my life sometimes is, is so, I, I make myself such a big deal. And, and I think everything in my life is so, so important. You know, my retirement plans are so critical. And, and you know, we, we kind of have these things in our life that we make our life way more significant than they ought to be in the perspective of eternity, Right? And, and, and my life, what I'm talking about is my life, what I accomplish and what I do here on this earth for the very short amount of time that I'm here is nothing in comparison to eternity. And 
The other thing we have to have the right perspective on is the right perspective of money. It might be the biggest hindrance to us doing God's will and living God's will in our daily life is, is the pursuit and our belief about money. Uh, there's a story um, in Matthew 10, and I'll read it in verse 17 to 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Oh, he sounds like a goody-goody to me. He's doing all of these things right in his own perspective of his life is he's doing all of these things. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And, and you, we look at this, this story and we think, what a goofball. You know, why didn't he just do what Jesus said and he would have get to, to go with Jesus? He would have get what he wanted to do. That's what he wanted to do. But he couldn't. He couldn't give up the thing that Jesus asked him to give up. But if we put ourselves in his shoes, what would it be that would make you turn away sad? If Jesus said, yes, okay, you can follow me and be a part of my journey and what I'm doing and, and you can be a part of all these amazing things that are about to happen and, and witness them and experience them and be a part of it happening, but you have to give up your job. You have to give up your savings. You have to give up your retirement plan. You have to give up this awesome car that you have been working to for a long time. You know, there's things that you have to give up in your life and able to do that. And there are things, if we're honest, that we would be sad to lose. And they become a hindrance to us in really making the will of God or the kingdom of God the primary concern in our life, the main thing in our life. And, um, you, you know, each one of us has something different that it would be, it would be hard to, to give up. And I know that he went away sad. Um, but I wonder whether he has an eternal regret. Like, he could have gone with Jesus and seen dead people come back to life. Uh, he could have seen blind people who didn't know what their mom's face looked like see <laughs> and see their family's face for the first time. You know, he could have seen people who were like so pushed aside by society and, and put to the, to the margins of, of life, be given identity and purpose and belief. Like he could have seen real change happening as he had followed Jesus and been a part of what Jesus was doing and he missed all of that because he couldn't give up his possessions. You know, and uh, we see it, it talks about it in John 10. I came that you may have life in all of its fullness. That is so different than what we think. 
Life in all of its fullness has so much less of the things of this world and so much more of, of, of following God's uh, will in our life and, and separating those things is so important. Uh, but it's so hard. Um, Romans 15, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And there's this like, idea of abundant life that you're, you only get when you commit your life to making God's kingdom your primary concern. And, and, it, and it's not that they, it cannot include some material things and that God doesn't want us to have any material things. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. But it, it's very easy for us to make those earthly things our primary goal, <laughs> right? The, the, the things that are our biggest concern. You know, they're the things we think about and work towards the most. Um, I want to introduce a couple to you that as a church, uh, you are, whether you knew it or not, a part of supporting as they work towards living out God's will in their life and are obedient to to serve him as missionaries abroad. So I want to introduce to you Mike and Janelle. Welcome them to the stage for me. Okay, I am going to let Mike and then Janelle tell you a little bit of their story, uh, of what they are about to embark on, what they have been doing, and I am going to step out of the way. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Uh, appreciate everything, yeah. and uh, thank you all. Uh, hello. <laughs> um, so Chris was talking about, uh, you know, good car rides with the GPS and uh, public speaking is going to be probably a bumpy car ride for me, so bear with us. <laughs> um, I just want to thank you all for your, uh, your prayers and your encouragement here at City on the Hill. Um, and I know you've been, 10 years ago, Janelle, was uh, you prayed over her when she went on her first assignment, and now we are blessed to be able to do it as a family of four together. Um, it's pretty special. It's been Pretty great year, a couple years of transition for us uh, in our family. Um, back in April of 2020, right in the thick of COVID, we got married. And nine months later, we got Finn. I don't know if you see him <laughs> up there or not. Uh, pictures. Um, and then a year and two days later, we got Cal. So <laughs> needless to say, uh, Janelle's mom's prayers for grandkids have been answered. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then the transition for our family continues even after that. Um, I've been in, uh, a news photojournalist for 24 years, and uh, most recently with uh, NBC5 with the aforementioned uh, Finfrock. And, um, but when Janelle and I were mapping out this life together, it became clear that uh, God wants us to be doing it together and... Um, and so last year, I joined Wycliffe, and last June, I resigned from my position uh, without having really an assignment or anything set up, but we knew we needed to start raising support full-time, and uh, so we just took that leap of faith, and God has been answering prayers ever since, and it's, uh, it's really neat to think that that 24-year career before has just been God setting me up for this next stage in life with uh, doing, doing His service. And, um, yeah, and uh, I've visited Indonesia twice uh, before Janelle and I got married. And um, 
during my time there, it was clear, it was easy to see where I could fit in with my talent and uh, helping tell stories about Bible translation. Um, and there's also just a real desire to learn. Um, I remember when I went to a workshop, there was a young man named Deo, and he wanted to kind of look at my camera, and I was able to teach him some things pretty quickly with it and help him with a, edit a little video project. And so it was fun for me and just kind of opened my eyes to even more possibilities for mentorship and teaching uh, in Indonesia. So, uh, why are we still here in the U.S.? Uh, it's kind of hard to get over there right now with everything that's been happening with COVID, and um, so traveling there is difficult. But we're hoping this summer um, that we can get there. That's our target time. And recently, I actually began my uh, sorry uh, my assignment with Seed Company, who is an affiliate of Wycliffe Bible Translators, um, joining their film team. And so right now, I'm able to work on some projects here in the U.S. that affect uh, Bible translation and the stories that are going on overseas, so, Janelle? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on this journey with us. Uh, we live in exciting times right now. There are over 7,000 languages spoken in the world, um, and as you can see on this next slide, about 1,892 of those languages still need um, scripture. And so um, the exciting thing is that for the first time in history, we are living in a time where we could see the Bible translated into every generation, any, every language that needs it within this generation. And wow. Wow. that's happening through partnerships. So people like you, this church, partnering with people from Mexico, from Brazil, from South Korea, from all over the world to do Bible translation. So we have the privilege of working with colleagues in um, Indonesia um, who are translating the Bible into their own language, and we come alongside of them to help train um, and check for accuracy and clarity. And uh, I had the privilege of working with the Bada team uh, to help them translate the New Testament into their language, and I lived with one of the translators, um, Mama Singi, and she devoted um, 10 years of her life to Bible translation. Oh. She left her family for three to four months out of the year. She had three boys. Um, she gave up other more prestigious opportunities with better compensation. And during the five years that I lived with her, um, the first year her mother passed away. Um, a year later, um, her 11-year-old son caught a sudden illness and we're out in the village. There's not great medical care and he passed away. And as we were preparing for um, the dedication of the Bada New Testament, her mother-in-law died. Wow. And through it all, she held on to that conviction that God is calling her to Bible translation. And as Derek shared last week, sometimes we don't know why God allows pain and loss and suffering, and we still don't know to this day. But um, on the day of the New Testament dedication for the Bada New Testament, she held the New Testament in her hand, and she said, God is good. He fulfills his promise to us. And as we speak right now, she is at a workshop um, helping another language uh, receive the New Testament in their, translate the New Testament to their language. Um, another team we work with who has also experienced some challenges um, on their journey to live out God's will in their life is the Kahok team. And uh, the coordinator of the team actually was not a believer when uh, she was recruited to Bible translation. But as she translated Bible stories into her language, the Holy Spirit touched her heart and she committed uh, her life to Jesus. However, um, 
her husband resented the time that um, that she spent away from her family, and Chandra was an angry man. And so she would often come to these translation workshops in tears. And um, this went on for three years, and over and over she said, I don't know if I can continue, but continued to follow God's will for her life. Um, and when it came time uh, to move on, they decided to translate the Jesus film. And uh, they needed voice actors, and they could not find anyone for Jesus. And Uni said, well, what about my husband Chandra? And this was brave because they hadn't spoken for the last two days. Um, but the recording team showed up at our house and asked Chandra to audition. And in um, Indonesian culture, it's really hard to say no. And so he got the part of Jesus. <laughs> and um, as he was speaking uh, <laughs> Jesus' words in his own language, God spoke back to him. And after three days of recording, on his way home, he was driving home and he just started crying. And he got, um, he got home, he called his wife and his three kids together, um, he asked their forgiveness, he cried, they hugged, and for the first time they talked as a family. Um, and the next Sunday at church in front of the entire congregation, he got up and for 30 minutes just shared how God had changed his life and how he was experiencing a peace that he had never experienced before. Wow. And Amen. this is why we're involved in, in Bible translations, so that, <laughs> so that people like Chandra can hear God speak to them directly in a language they understand and experience that kind of peace. Um, and Chandra actually left his job as an accountant with stable income to join Uni, his wife, in translating uh, the New Testament into their language. And um, they, are, they finished Luke, and that happened right as the pandemic hit. And uh, the workshop before the pandemic, we had no idea what was coming, but we had done a media workshop. And so each team, we work with six language teams there, had created a website and a Facebook page. And so as the pandemic was hitting and we couldn't go distribute these, uh, these uh, books of Luke that had just been translated, they got read more widely, accessed more widely because of the internet than they would have because no one could meet in person. And so, uh, and also during this time, Uni Chandra and the Kehok team have visited um, over 300 homes distributing radios with the translated scriptures on them and have seen more than 20 people make professions of faith. And so we see God continuing to work despite challenges, despite setbacks, um, and we couldn't do this without you all. Thank you so much for your partnership. Awesome. Uh, awesome. And so, uh, thank you. You guys, you know, we are, we are super proud of what you guys are, are doing. I know you all didn't want to hang out on here while we, while we wrap up. You all can sit down if you want to. But I just want to tell you guys we are. We're super proud of what you're doing. And, um, you know, there are comforts that you have to sacrifice. Home comforts, you know, there are benefits of living in the U.S. You don't get anywhere else in the world if you didn't know. The U.S. is, for all of its flaws, is a pretty great place to live. And um, you're giving a lot of that up to be able to advance your kingdom. We just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, um, you know uh, we don't have to be um, full-time pastors or missionaries abroad to be fully living out God's will. We, we know that, right? At least we, we hear that. And, and I hope that you know, I mean, it tells us in Colossians 3, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, we can, we can advance the kingdom of God in how we treat our families, right? And what, you know, what Brian was talking about 
you're going to make one of three appointments, right? You're going to either book into a conference or you're going to book into a counselor or you're going to book in and see a, a divorce lawyer. And it sounds extreme, but let me tell you what those two things he's talking about are. You either choose to be proactive or reactive. That's it. You either are working on those things and that's living out God's will in your, in your relationships is by, is by going to, to places like, like the conference this weekend and, and growing. In, in March, our women's conference, uh, March 4th and 5th, uh, is going to serve the same purposes. It's going to be a great time to gather and have fellowship and, and worship and learn and, and have a good time, the women together. But it's going to help you to be able to live out God's will in your daily life. We don't uh, put anything on here just for fun, only simply fun. <laughs> that, that's, not the, that's not the primary goal of, of City on a Hill. You know, and, and for some of us, you know, living out God's will in our daily life is going to need to be, I can make a bigger impact on people if, if I have a promotion, right? And, and if that's the, the primary reason, that, go for it, 100%. Do everything you can to move up in your influence if it means that you can have a bigger impact on the kingdom of God and how you are able to... Uh, relate to the people at work. Some of you, the way that you feel that God could use you the most is going to require a college degree. And, and so if that's the case, do everything you can to go in and get that education so that you can do it. If it doesn't, it's not always the path that everyone should have to take. You know, we have to be able to make our decisions with the kingdom of God as our primary concern. For some of us, uh, what that looks like is we're going to have to re-budget because only one of us is going to work because I'm going to invest in my kids and I'm going to stay here and that's the way I can live out the will of God in my life the best that I can right now is right here in my home. And if that's the case, it is making the kingdom your primary concern to live on a smaller budget so that that can happen. You know, and so whatever it looks like for you, it is going to be different. I would imagine it probably is going to require some kinds of sacrifice for us to like push into living God's will out. But what that sacrifice is, is going to be different for each one of us. And whatever it is that God has put on your mind today in practical ways, uh, don't let that fade away as you leave today. You know, make some, make some proactive steps to, to make those changes that you need to make to make the kingdom of God your primary concern and to live out God's will in your daily life, especially when things are hard. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to um, get, dig into your word on this. Thank you that you have revealed so much to us on how we should live our life in loving others, in being encouraging to others, in, um, in blessing others, in making sacrifices, in making you the Lord of our life, in worshiping you. And I pray that you would strengthen us and guide us as we do our very best to relinquish control of our lives and to do your will in our daily life. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. You all take note. 1014. You all take note. <laughs> I get brownie points with my wife after we argued in the car. So, you know. <laughs> Thank you.